As you've just seen, we're in a series looking at what it means to be human. I love that graphic that we've used. See how you can read it as being human, but also human being. It speaks to me that no matter what the colour of your skin, you are a human being, that you have value, dignity and deserve respect because you're made in God's image. And even though people through history have been degraded and dehumanised by people like Edward Colston, who's believed to have trafficked 80,000 human beings and whose name is synonymous with Bristol, having adorned concert venues, although that's changing, and schools. But we also find in other names from Bristol, Bristol's history, like Hannah Moore and George Muller, men and women who embody what it means to be truly human. I suppose what I mean is people who represent the best of humanity. They demonstrated it by campaigning against slavery or caring for thousands of orphans who were often discarded and forgotten by society. Now, Edward Colston was just as much a human being as Hannah Moore or George Muller, just as actually the men, women and children that he enslaved were as human. But these people who were the most humane were full of compassion, integrity and love. We probably each have people we've known that we admire and respect and we would seek to emulate. Jamie talked a little bit in the first part of 1 Thessalonians about how we should be imitators of great leaders and most of all of the Lord. Look at what Marcus Rashford has achieved in the last few days. It's been a great example. In fact, for the last few years, he's been one of my favourite football players. But this is a young black man using his influence for the benefit of other people. You may have people that you've known that you really look up to. And don't you find it so easy to talk about people that we love and admire? You'll see from the Bible verses we're going to look at today what an amazing capacity we have as human beings for praise, enthusiasm about things that seem to us to be worthy of praise. I think that's an essential part of what it means to be human, that we're made to praise. We go on and on about the things that we love, don't we? The latest Netflix series or saying to people, oh, you must read this book or have you been to that place? I've got this theory that no matter how shy or quiet or maybe even antisocial someone could be, if you get them talking on their favourite subject, they could go on and on for hours. It might be Gardener's World, you know who you are, uh, or Star Wars, or football, or Bitcoin trading, or children, or music, or crocheting, whatever it is, it's so natural for us to talk about the things we love. 
the parts of life that we get passionate and excited about. Now, in a moment, my friend Kayo is going to read our verses for today. They're from the start of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica. As Jamie explained a couple of weeks ago, Paul had spent a short time there telling people about Jesus, but then he'd had to move on because of persecution. And he's now writing back to that church a short time later. We'll see what an example the believers in that place have become and how they were being talked about all over the place. Let's listen as Kayo reads. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, Silas and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit, in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to the people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Thanks, Kayo. If you're following along uh, in your own Bible, we're going to be focusing on verses 8 to 10. Paul writes in verse 8, that God's word has rung out like the chiming of a bell from Thessalonica, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. Like dropping a stone in a pond, Paul shared the good news about Jesus there and the ripples have radiated out even beyond Greece. So much so that wherever Paul goes, he doesn't need to say anything about their faith because other people are telling him about the believers in Thessalonica. And what was it people were saying? You can see it here in verse 9. They were saying how the people had turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Out of all the things that we could unpack uh, uh, from these verses, I want us to spend the time we have talking about why it was so significant that they turned from idols. You see, idols in that culture were everywhere. 
statues and carvings in temples, on street corners and in people's homes. Even the emperor was to be regarded as a god. Now, this is significant because out of all the people groups and nations of the ancient world, it was only the Jewish people who didn't have idols. When God had delivered the people from slavery in Egypt, he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And you can read about the first two of those in Exodus chapter 20. It starts like this in verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Verse 3, here's the first commandment. You must not have any other God but me. Here comes the second commandment, verse 4. You must not make for yourself any idol. Sorry, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Those verses tell us an idol was an image or representation of a god. Now, idols were big business in the ancient world. As Jamie said a couple of weeks ago, we can read about Paul's time in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. Acts is the story of the expansion of the church and Acts joins the dots between some of the letters like 1 Thessalonians that the leaders wrote. Acts 17 tells us how because of persecution, Paul was smuggled out of the city to Berea and after more trouble there, he moved on to Athens. In verse 16 of Acts chapter 17, we read that Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city of Athens was full of idols. As he preaches there in verse 24, he says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And then he says in verse 29, We should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. What he's saying is directly challenging the popular thinking of the day. And then he goes on a couple of years later in Acts 19. There was a riot in Ephesus because Paul had been saying that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And there were so many people turning to the living God that all the silversmiths who made little silver shrines to Artemis, or uh, the Roman version was Diana, were worried about their business. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and they had a roaring trade selling idols to the people that visited. Now, these days, we may not have literal idols like little statues that we bow down to, although you sometimes see Buddhas or other statues in some people's homes. But we do have 
our own idols. Generally, in the Western world, our idols are more subtle, but maybe they're even more pervasive. What I'm saying is that idolatry is an issue of the heart. I started today by talking about how it's natural for us to praise things and people, to talk about things that are worthy. Louis Giglio, the American pastor, in his little book called The Air I Breathe, talks about how you know what is important to you. He says this, simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. At the end of that trail of your, um, uh, yes, yeah, sorry, at the end of that trail, you'll find a throne and whatever or whomever is on that throne is what's of highest value to you. On that throne is what you worship. God clearly told his people in those verses we read in Exodus that he alone should occupy that position. He alone is worthy to sit on the throne of our hearts. Martin Luther said, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Even good things can become an idol if we elevate them too much. Our husband or wife, our children, a certain ideology like campaigning on green issues or campaigning against racism. They're all really, really good things, but they shouldn't be the main thing that takes that first place in our hearts. John Calvin wrote that the human heart is an idle factory, not idle as in lazy, but a factory that generates idols. Each one of us is endlessly inventing idols, coming up with new things that we can worship. Now, I know not many of us probably are physically making our own idols, but we can fashion a career for ourselves that we can possibly sacrifice everything else for. We can idolise a person or a relationship we can even bow down to our own image by how we obsess about our appearance. The Greek word uh, that is translated idol is idolon. It literally means appearance or reflection in water or a mirror like this. John Piper says, idolatry starts in the heart, craving, wanting, enjoying, being satisfied by anything that you treasure more than God. The people who made up the church in Thessalonica had got things right. They made God the main thing and they had turned away from idols. Now, the bad things that we should turn away from are fairly obvious, aren't they? Sinful stuff like lust, envy or addictive behaviours that we know to be wrong uh, and that we need to turn from. That word to turn from uh, can also be used to uh, say repent, 
we need to turn our back on those things and ask for forgiveness from Jesus. And we'll come back to that uh, in a few moments. But like I said, there are good things that can become idols if we don't put them in their rightful place. Augustine, the fourth century African theologian and one of the most influential writers in history, talked about having rightly ordered loves. Imagine this shelf behind me being like the hierarchy of your heart. An idol, as I've said, is anything that we put in place of God. Let's look at some of the things that I've got. Uh, I've got a wallet here uh, to represent money. Uh, I've got a mug representing, you know, a cup of tea at work, representing your career. Um, I've got a card that represents a relationship. Um, I've got a photo of Noah as a baby uh, that represents our love for our children. And I've got a Bible that represents our love for God. Now, uh, the danger is that we elevate one of those things above God. Let's look at a couple of examples together. If I put the wallet on top, if I say, yes, that has first place in my heart, what's, what's really going on there? Well, there is a pull on our hearts to materialism, the accumulation of more and more stuff, almost like an addiction to consume and purchase, a habit that needs to be satisfied. But if God is first, then my money isn't for me to just accumulate more stuff. It's for him to deploy where he wants. And there's no doubt I'll benefit because God's very gracious, but uh, he will use my money uh, and deploy it in the way that he wants so I have much more to give. Let's think of another example. Uh, if we put our children uh, in the highest place in our lives, what's happening there? Well, if we idolise our children, we can end up sacrificing everything for the sake of them. And we get things out of kilter. Of course, we should love and care for our children, absolutely. But that shouldn't lead us to spoil them or pander to them or base everything in our lives around them. We need to put God first. It's not wrong to hold people or things in high regard and with love and affection, but those things or people mustn't become like our God. They mustn't take our worship. They mustn't be our sole source of joy or peace or hope. They mustn't determine our value or define all the decisions we make. Only God can and should occupy that place. 
My hope shouldn't be in my job or my money, even my loved ones. My hope and trust, my full reliance need to be on God. So let me ask you, are there idols in your life that you need to take down today? Things that maybe have occupied the space that should only be reserved for God. Maybe the things that have taken too much of your time, your energy and your emotion. I encourage you, put God first today. It says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then to put my own spin on the end of that verse, and everything else will find its correct place. Where you're supposed to live, deciding what job you do, pursuing a calling or making decisions about relationships, they'll all find their right order if you put God first. Do you know what? Uh, confession time. Seeing all those things on the shelf reminds me I have a steady queue of things competing for first place in my heart. My heart really is an idol factory. When I was younger, I think I was probably looking for a relationship that would fulfill me in a way that really only God can. I think I spent years looking for the approval of other people. I think at times I've fallen into the trap of placing too much emphasis on success rather than simply faithfulness to God. I could go, go on and on working down the list, struggles I've had with sin, times when I haven't put God first. But this idea of turning away is so important. You might think, how can I turn away and let go of things that I've put such a priority on in my life? But we don't just turn away from things into emptiness and a void. What, what did the Thessalonians do? It says in verse 9, they turned from idols to serve the living God and wait for his son. God wants to fill our lives with meaning and purpose through us serving him. So I have to keep turning away from the things that compete for first place in my heart to serve God and wait expectantly for Jesus. That is the repeated encouragement that we'll see as we work through this letter, to lift our eyes to our future hope, a hope that can not only sustain us now, but empower us to live for God and see people come to know him. And as we put God first and other things in their right priority, it helps us to navigate and make sense of the turmoil of the times that we're living in, because we know where the whole of history, the whole of human history is moving towards. So let's bring this into land. You can look at things that happen in the world today, racism and prejudice 
abuse and exploitation of the vulnerable, greed and oppression. And you can rightly ask, when will justice be done? And we long for justice to be done soon, don't we? We long for it in this life. And it may be done uh, in this life in part, but we know when Jesus returns, justice will be fully done. That is our hope, that Jesus is coming back and he will deliver justice. Evil will not be allowed to prevail, but will be dealt with for good. But it's not just evil out there, is it? Leo Tolstoy said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself. I'm working through uh, the letter of 1 Peter at the moment, and I'm trying to memorise it. Uh, and it says halfway through chapter 1 in verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. God is totally fair, as it says in that verse. He's impartial, but he will judge us according to what we've done. Now, that is actually a pretty terrifying thought, isn't it? And we should be afraid of that because we know uh, we've all done things wrong. But actually, through faith in Christ, mercy is available to anyone. 1 Thessalonians uh, 1 verse 10 in the NIV says, Wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. We can be rescued from the judgment that we deserve. It's that easy. Simply by trusting that Jesus came from heaven and died on the cross, taking your place and dying the death that you deserve for the things you've done, and that he rose from the dead, demonstrating the new life that you can have with God that will go on forever. And you can be rescued by that faith. That is the scandal of grace. It is outrageous that whoever genuinely turns from their sin, from the idols that they had bowed down to, and whether it's the most evil person in history, whether it's you or whether it's me, we can be rescued from God's righteous anger and judgment against sin. His justice that will deal with sin against children, the evils of racism, or anything else that stands against God's holiness. And that includes the darkest desires of our own hearts. So what's your response today? Are there things that you need to repent of? Things that you've put ahead of God? Are there idols in your heart that you need to turn from? Things that you know have crawled onto the throne of your life and are occupying the place that only God should. They might be good things, or it might be stuff you know to be wrong. But either way, even a good thing in place of God 
is sinful. You might have been a Christian for years, maybe even decades, but you know God has slipped from the summit of your heart and no longer takes first place in your affections. Maybe there's something you practically need to do. I encourage you to take action. Maybe there's something that's causing you to mess up and distracting you from your relationship with God that you just need to throw away. Maybe there's an app on your phone that you just need to delete. Uh, Maybe you need to talk to your husband or wife or a close friend and agree a change that you want to make in your life. I really encourage you to take that practical step. Or you may be with us today and just looking in on church and thinking about what you believe. Well, if you feel faith rising in your heart, even as I'm saying these things today, and you think, yes, I want to put God first in my life, you can take that step today and put your trust in Jesus for the first time. Whatever uh, position each one of us finds ourselves in, the good news of the gospel is just as real and just as applicable for each one of us. And let's each put God in first place in our lives. We're going to sing in a moment and I encourage you as we sing to make your response to God. Tell him how you feel. That's just uh, another way of saying pray. Uh, And after we've sung, if you'd like someone to pray with you, uh, then you can join me online on Zoom uh, and I'll have some friends who will be happy to chat and pray with you. This is for anyone. You might be a Christian in another country or someone in Bristol who's just checking out church. You may be one of the leaders in this church or this may be your first ever experience of church. It doesn't matter. Anyone is free to respond today. So Matt is going to lead us in a song and then I'll come back and give you an opportunity to respond. Let's worship.